Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX Hulu. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 5, Episode 6, The Tender Trap. Aaron, tender. When, when I hear the word tender, what comes to my mind is either a steak or money. <laughs> and I feel like the money trap, the money pit is a pretty accurate description of most strip clubs. I was uh, I, I saw this joke on TikTok about um, was it the drummer boy that talks about an infant so tender and mild, oh. and it's like the existence of an infant tender and mild implies the existence of an infant uh, tough and spicy. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Tinder, the tender trap. Uh, I, I looked into this a little bit, and apparently, oh, yeah. this is a Frank Sinatra song that was featured in a movie. Where he starred alongside Princess Leia's mom, uh, Debbie Reynolds, and it's interesting because it sets the theme, or it, 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 it it's it's it explores a lot of the themes that this this uh, season as a whole is exploring, and that uh, you got Frank Sinatra, who's kind of a fuckboy, and you've got uh, Debbie Reynolds, who is like a young actress, and she's got her life planned out that she's going to retire at 22 and then become like a dutiful baby making carefree housewife from that point forward. And it's dovetailed with another romantic comedy pair. Uh, I forget who these actor and actresses is. But uh, he's the friend of Frank Sinatra who has just been married. He got married young and is, is, is in like an 11-year marriage and he's miserable in it and he's jealous of Frank Sinatra's jet-setting fuckboy ways. And uh, a, a 30-year-old woman on the verge of being a spinster is kind of falling for him. And it's just kind of like, you know, examination of like standard gender roles and whatnot. And it feels like a lot of things that this show is doing not not necessarily in the margins, but in this kind of weird front and center way. Uh, and that and that, that yeah. Frank Sinatra says the love, in fact, is the tinder trap. The love. All right. Frank Sinatra liked the steak, though. Let's not get it twisted. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and money. It's true. The man loved a good steak. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and martini. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, yeah, that applies, you know, to, to pretty directly to some of the stuff we see in this episode um, and throughout the the series, I think. But uh, maybe we should get into it. Talk about the episode proper. What do you think? Uh, so, like, I'm starting to come to the conclusion that this season is funny in the way that Burn After Reading is funny. And that, like, it's not not funny. Like, when I watched Burn After Reading, uh, I chuckled a few times. 
But at the end, I was kind of like, huh, huh, okay. Um, and it reminds me of a conversation I've had with someone else where it's like uh, we were talking about um, Raising Arizona. And they're like, oh, my God, that movie is so stupid. I can't believe people think it's supposed to be funny. I think Raising Arizona is hilarious. Um, but I and, and I know a lot of people think the Burn After Reading is their favorite Coen Brothers funny film. Um, but this is like I, I, I'm seeing the detects at humor um, that or I'm, I'm detecting the attempts at humor, I should say. They're just not exactly landing. And it might be like Burn After Reading I've seen three or four times at this point. I've got to the point where like there's a belly laugh or two in that movie now. It's still not nearly as funny as like Big Lebowski and and uh, Raising Arizona for my money. But it's like I I get it. And I'm just like just going through this at the first time. But I'm starting to assume that this just is not hitting my particular funny bone. Um, but I am I am really interested in some of the kind of like the symbolism they're doing in the margins. I find the characters uh, are becoming more compelling as I'm getting used to them, as they're becoming more fully fleshed. There's like a lot of things that I could complain about. I don't know if I will complain about, but what, what did you think? Yeah, I feel like a lot of this season has been a lesson in delayed gratification. I mean, there's so mm. much that happens that he's like, no, no, just wait. You know, I, I know you want this thing, but hold up, hold up. Right, right. Um, and that's that, that was tripping me up a little bit early on. I think especially that, you know, that vibe of like, okay, this is going to be the Home Alone Big Lebowski season, and they do the big lead up to it, and then boom, we have to wait a week to get the the actual thing we want. Um, yeah, I'm I'm feeling that a little bit less now, or maybe I've just settled into it. But I I do really agree with the humor uh your your take on the humor in this i think there's like a way that some some comedies can just build this crescendo of funny things and stack them on top of each other and get me to a point where i'm just cracking up and this thing gets like most of the way there and then just kind of takes it a beat too far like that that stuff with lars this episode i thought was really really funny early on uh when uh-huh. he's describing you know what he wants a wife and Adira's just like uh, the look on her face i mean it cracks me up and then they go on with that for like like i said a beat too long it's it's too much and it becomes yeah. not funny now it's overstated it's welcome and i think that's true of a lot of the comedy in this season their their attempts just are not quite landing with me for that reason yeah i think you're right there's something they're about stacking one too many things on top of the joke there's hat on a hat and like I, I there's definitely a point yeah. that I want to talk about where like I'm like oh girl with Indira and then I get to a point where I'm like oh girl you know like I go from sympathetic yeah. to like what the fuck is wrong with you you don't even seem like a real person that would put like like you are oil you are oil and water of a personality like I can't figure out but maybe there are mm. maybe there are real people that are in these situations that are like but but <sighs> But they like, but but the, there's usually something I can look at. Like I was, like, oh well, Lars is beautiful, or he's like a poet, and he like makes her feel a certain way about. Like, but this guy is just, yeah, nothing. He's large do. curd cottage cheese, man. <laughs> Not good for nobody or nothing. Like what? Uh-huh. Who's lusting after this guy? Who is burning their entire life to make his dreams come true? There's, I can see the college romance like turning into this relationship but like why stay Maybe. in this you know it's not like they got pregnant and now they've got kids and they're staying together for them it's just 
yeah, why? Well, especially in this episode where he just his expectations and Indira's uh, daily activities are just clashing here. It's yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. At the same time, like they're doing some stuff where the, some characters are like two ships passing in the night with the sort of uh, trajectories they're on because I think they're doing a lot more to uncaricaturize John Hamm in this episode like yes Roy is becoming more of a person to me at the same time that Indira is becoming harder to understand mm-hmm. um and that the, just well Indira I like but their relationship like Indira and Lars it's becoming harder to understand uh so I I don't know man it's like half of this show is hitting for me and half of it is not and it's kind of frustrating and I do like, like, I'm, I, I, you know, one of my biggest problems for this year has been old Munch himself, but like, they gave him some really good dialogue. Um, I really, yeah, with Gator. Yeah, I really like, uh, that's something like Gator seems like an idiot, but the show, like, I feel like me and the show are on the same page of like who Gator yeah. is and what he is and what his deal is and the comeuppance he's probably going to get. Um, if he doesn't make a full Jack Skellington and somehow w- pull out a good guy out of this, but like I and, I and I really like how how that that stuff crackles. I really like some of the dialogue with uh, um, Ms. Lyon and and Roy. I think they crackle in kind of a a, a, a certain way. But yeah, I, I, there's some things where it's like I just feel like that this is that yeah this is definitely in full throated preaching to the choir. And what I've you know in participation in, in real life you know religious institutions where you kind of get insular and bubbled up, uh, those those sermons there's, there's no like uh, the the faithful never gets tired of hearing them, like just more and more and more and like yeah validate and more and tell it and and like I feel like maybe Holly is a little this is like some frustration and stuff boiling forth with him that he's just. Uh, you know, he's 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 a preacher all worked up and he's got a sermon to give. And uh, it's a little much for me, but clearly there's people in the uh, in the pews uh, enjoying it. Yeah, seems like it. You're listening to Fargo with Bald Move. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Fargo on Bald Move. All right, uh, let's get into the recap. We'll talk about this more. Oh, also, we we are obviously playing from behind here. We took, you know, we 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 couldn't get screeners. I I've heard through the grapevine the next episode is like the season defining episode that might I would, I would like hope completely so we change didn't get dot this episode. I'm like, where, where right, is dot? Right, right, She's right. off on some tiger mission i want to know what that is but this is like the home alone thing you know but, but people are talking to me like this might be the thing that shifts me off of the fence from like yeah i admire certain aspects of the season but i'm really to like a full-throated admire we'll see we'll see okay yeah all right well we start off with roy going to vivian he's the uh banker with the woman's name as roy put it 
and tells him that he's not going to sell his bank to Lorraine. And he, he, he this is the scene outside of the Tinder trap right at the beginning. Yeah, th- I think this is interesting that they're even Vivian. Um, I looked up because I thought that there's something to like Vivian as a girl's name. And I looked it up and the etymology of this is really interesting that this is like, I guess... This originated in the early Middle Ages as a homage to St. Vivianus. And it was seen as a traditionally masculine name up until the middle of the 19th century when it started to appearing as a gender neutral. You could be a, a boy or a girl up until the early part of 20th century where it switched to exclusively a girl's name. And it's interesting because it made me start thinking about other like I've reflected at times of like if you look at what was seen as extremely masculine 400 years ago, you think of like Henry VIII and he's Mm -hmm. like, you know, especially when he's younger, he was kind of like Bobby Baratheon. He was this big, strapping, handsome stereotype of what a king would look like. And if you see his official paintings, it's a dude in white pantyhose and kitten heels with a whole bunch of scarlet fur and he's dripping with jewels and he's got a funny hat and you would you would a dude walking down the street you would say is effeminate okay Mm -hmm. but that was the height and you go back to the founding fathers and they're all wearing little pumps and they got the 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 curly white wigs and they're just it's just like you would say this these are a bunch of foppish dandies but they were the height of masculine this this name vivian how it was a very masculine name that's now become a girl's name it's just i don't know i think it's there's there's something they're saying interesting about how masculinity perceives itself and like you would ask Roy and he's like, a man's a man and a woman's a woman. That shit was set down in the Garden of Eden, son. Well, then why were the manly mans wearing dresses and high heels and stockings 400 years ago, sir? If this mm-hmm. was also I, I think I think that's an interesting way that they're playing with this. And did you think when Roy ripped this dude's shirt off that they were going to have matching pierced nipples? <laughs> that would have been funny. Uh, but no, I was not thinking that. I did because I'm like, oh my god, are there? Because they, they, this entire episode, they kept on having like these weird hints to what you know, quote unquote, deviant sexuality. Well, quote unquote, maybe actual. Where like Roy was like, you know, do a dance for me when he's got this guy half naked, and the guy's like, what? And he's like, oh, I was just joking. Yeah, I, I it wouldn't have blown my wet my mind if they had matching rip nipple rings and they were with the society of inverted horseshoe nipples and. <laughs> <laughs> Roy's uh, fifth level cow hand and and Vivian's only a third level and I don't know there's some kind of psychosexual submission game going on here is what I'm saying oh yeah I mean he's emasculating him right he's standing outside of a strip club he's stripping him down his name is Vivian which Roy thinks is a woman's name and you sure. know he's he's turning him into one of the girls inside the club right yeah yeah so yeah there's definitely uh, While the girls from the club stuff. are on break smoking and just looking like I, that's the other aspect of it. Like they he truly has become the girl on stage for a whole bunch of, uh, you know, hard smoking, hard drinking onlookers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so let's go to Indira, who gets more calls from bill collectors as she's getting ready for work. She asks Lars to watch uh, Scotty while she's at work. He's more concerned with uh, finding a wife, which is puzzling, considering she is his wife. Uh, and what he actually means by that is pretty over the top. 
this is the scene I was talking about that is maybe a hat on a hat. It's maybe a, a step too far, but boy, was I enjoying it in the beginning. Uh, I I always love a character who's completely befuddled by what's happening in front of them. I, yeah. I, I like to put myself sort of in that scene as a fly on the wall and just really drink in their awkward vibes. And boy, she was giving off some great awkward vibes during this. The, the, the depths of the delusion of where this guy thinks he is versus where this guy is. Oh, my God. Um, and that, that's the thing. It's like, I I guess, I guess um, I'm with you. I thought this was entertaining and droll, but it just kept on going. It kept on going. And this gets like, this guy's got every odious opinion that you would think of. You know, this guy, it's like, I, I kept on thinking the word that came to mind is like, you know what Frank was talking about in, in Always Sunny about a bang maid sure like, yeah 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 he just wants some he just wants a mommy he can fuck you know is, is is at the end of the day what these what these what these guys profess to want yeah um, seems like it uh he wants someone who can cook and she says i cook and he means no cook who cooks good you know yeah <laughs> like yeah. oh my god dude yeah G- like gift um, horse gift horse meat mouth and then and Deer just takes it. Um, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't get part. it. Like I don't. I wish I knew how this started. And it's like I don't know because the th- the the real hat on the hat moment for me we haven't got to yet. But like I just look at this guy and it's like, why is Indira doing this? Why is she doing this for this man's dumb dreams? Yeah, you know. What is the compelling like? Like, what is the hold? It does, I, I guess that's the thing that they they haven't sold me on is they haven't sold me that he actually has a hold on this woman because I I've, I've definitely seen relationships men and male and female where one person is completely burning their life to serve the dreams of the others, but there's always been some kind of like weird imbalance in terms of like look or charisma or the other person just is like is, just feels like they're worthless and this person gives them meaning or. I don't get it here. Like Lars just seems like a vanilla dumb fuck. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he still feels like I don't know how old they're supposed to be, but he still definitely feels like he's this college kid who's just Well, and they're like making that explicit. Around. Like, oh, that uh your kid must love frosted flakes. Oh yeah, he does. He actually he loves them a lot and yeah, they're going back even further than college. Uh yeah, that's the thing. I I don't quite understand it. Um, it. It could be wrapped up in this, you know, sense of manners and politeness. And because Indira knows how she feels about this. She just can't tell Lars how she feels about his stupid dreams. And I don't know if that's the manners in her that that like Minnesota nice that you get where people yeah, are maybe. judging, but also not willing to say it out loud. Or maybe they're both dreamers. She wanted to be a cop and he wanted to be in a band and, you know, her dreams just achievable and his weren't. So she feels mm-hmm. like, but yeah, I don't know. Expiration date passed. This guy, this guy's eggnog expired on December 23rd. <laughs> Here it is. January 2nd. Starting to get chunks in it. It's time, time to kick it to the curb. Yeah. I think the part where it goes on a little too long for me is the beat where she says, is that all? And he says, no, and yeah. comes back in. I, I just wish they would have kind of left it there, but kid and eh. IUD. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Let's go talk about uh, Gators guys tuning up. Uh, I'm calling him Anima guy. Uh, thinking he's Wayne. Man. 
trying to force him to lure Dot out. Of course, he can't because he doesn't know her. Uh, Roy's getting a haircut at home when one of Wayne's commercials comes on TV. Gator says, hey, we got Wayne ready for questioning in the barn. Roy goes out to see him, realizes it's the wrong guy, so he shoots him in the head. And then says, hey, get the car so we can go pay the boogeyman. Uh, I gotta. I, I actually come out of this episode really admiring Cancer Guy. He commits to that bit. He holds that frame. It, it turns out sure. it doesn't... It, if, if you're a mousy nurse or a giant bruising cow hand that's beating the teeth out of you, he will damn and fuck you into a, his grave without any kind yeah. of let up. It's, 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 yeah. I thought he's like, oh, this is guy's big time into nurses and the, the poor staff and all that. But no, he's, he's just built different, man. Yeah, they should have given him a job. Not <laughs> kill him. Yeah, Roy should adopt him and make him his son. Like, I think uh-huh. it, he'd be a straight up more effective gator. <laughs> I think so. Uh, this barn, I love this barn because this barn is like collapsing in real time. It's actively mm-hmm. collapsing on screen. You can watch it going down. Sure. Uh, this feels like every old barn on a farm I've seen out here in the Midwest. There's uh, almost everyone's got one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it is that says, hey, we're just going to let that barn go. Lack of time. Uh, I, I know a couple it. people that are in this sit, and it's honestly, it's like literally would be more expensive to raise it through the ground than to just leave it there. And it also, while it's a wreck, it still serves a purpose. You can store things in it and hasn't completely collapsed yet. So Anything you don't want crushed, I would not put in there. But like, yeah. like maintaining it is exceedingly expensive. Tearing it down is expensive. Letting it rot is free. This is true. This is true. And you don't like, you know, back in the day, you needed a bunch of horses and cows to maintain a farm. And but now it's like, you know, one guy with like a million dollar tractor can do the work of 10 small farms. So it's like a lot of those barns are just there ain't no animals or no, they're not even tractors. They're just they're they're useless. So, yeah, true. Solilo- soliloquy on uh, on on barns. Yeah. Out of nowhere. Put a hat on a hat on this podcast. Uh yeah, there's another hat on a hat kind of thing that's happening in here with the uh, Donald Trump stuff and his Roy's wife and kids being well, her being all about it, and this is where it starts to humanize him a little bit to me. He is not just a character because he, she's going on and on about you know how they're doing this, uh, the Democrats are doing all this horrible stuff to this poor man who can't sure. get a break, right? Uh. And he's kind of not concerned with that in the moment. He's got other things on his mind. And I feel like it would have been a lot more like everything I had seen from this show before for him to also go in on this. Mm. But I I felt like it made him more of a realistic character for him to have other concerns in the moment, regardless of his feelings on the man. Yeah. I mean, he's he is fixated on his ex-wife. Um. But it's interesting because like out in the barn who he's about to go question and tune up. And yeah, all, all kinds of stuff. I'd also love to know what his the private thoughts of his wife are, because like when he talks so later about breaking women and he's never had problems before or since, like I take that conversation into my subsequent watches and I'm like, how much of this stuff do you really espouse? And you look at the the, the twins that are miserable because her mom's like, yeah, and the girls agree with me. And the girl's like, we just want to watch cartoons. And, you know, she I yeah. 
The other thing is like she cuts Roy's ear, and I I thought on my, my on my first watch I thought like oh she he must have flinched at the Wayne because I thought that was also interesting too like seeing Wayne on these TV commercials I kind of see what Dot sees in him right like you know he's kind of got yeah, this I... uh, Better Call Saul you know larger than like you know all these guys that do their own commercials in these small markets have a little bit of oh yeah frustrated Hollywood actor in him and there's a little bit of swag to him when he's selling those Kias on the small screen right oh yeah for sure I mean it's also a little bit like the barn you don't tear down or or burn or fix up where like oh, yeah, it'd be a lot cheaper so. for him to get on camera and just do them himself <laughs> as opposed to producing a real commercial but true true but you're right yeah there, there's there's a, a little bit of charm. I've always liked Wayne. I think, yeah, he's a bit of a wallflower. He's a bit, of, a little bit too deferential to other people, but he seems like a very nice guy. But it seems like that's the, maybe those are the people that he loves, you know? Like, I, I don't think this man that does these commercials and runs a fucking car uh, uh, lot is like a pushover. He'd starve. Unless, yeah, I don't know. No, you find out right. that, that Ms. Lyon is bankrolling, subsidizing it. He's running the kinder, gentler. Yeah, and Danish is behind the scenes breaking knees. Yeah, yeah, he's doing the hard stuff, and and uh, maybe, but like I, uh, yeah, I, I thought this gave a little bit of dimension as we see Wayne kind of reduced to this very simple role because of his his mis, misfiring wiring, as he talks about. Like he was, you know, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think. It's like what 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 do you call that? It's like a a, a mini celebrity. Like in his like yeah local celebrity sure you run into Ed Wood back in Indianapolis Ed Wood Toyota Ed Wood Subaru oh would I recognize you'd be Ed like Wood. holy shit it's Ed Wood ah uh, I probably wouldn't I yeah it's been too long since I've seen Ed Wood's face on TV but yeah 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 he's I just forget like the that. other guy that's uh, when I was growing up it's Ed something and his whole deal is like Ed Ed his name is like Ed Smith Ed Smith needs the money. And I was just like, he's just like deadpan and like, you know, it's like the tax man's here. It's the end of March. We got to sell all the truck cars or they're going to repossess everything. Ed, it's Ed Martin. Old Ed Martin oh, just yeah, needs yeah. the money. It's like, that was his whole pitch. Like, I just need the money, guys. You just come in. You got money. I got cars. I just... <laughs> I, I would recognize Don from Don Gun. Don's of Gun, course. So, obviously. Of course. Yeah. But I hear he's more than just a local celebrity. Yeah. Is he? Did he get make it out of Indy three one seven fame? Maybe, maybe I could be mistaken for someone else. I've told this oh, story. I, I know it's it's uh it's the jewelry guy I'm mistaking him for. Uh, yeah, I can't the think Shane of his name. Company. Shane, yeah, we yeah. our entire life we thought uh-huh. that was a local company, and then we talked to our friends from Seattle. It turns out old Shane selling diamonds out of Belgium and Seattle too. What the hell, Shane? We trusted yep. you. Yep. Antwerp going Antwerp making those deals himself passing on the so what are we doing we're supposed to be talking about Fargo yeah I guess so uh look this is directly related to the Midwest you're being a leptard is that is that a slur I don't even know I'm, I'm scared to say I actually it. think that's a distinctively Midwestern slur because I've I don't think I've ever I don't like when I heard that it took me back to middle school and apparently it was used as a slur in season two. Um, but okay. it's like it's a, it's it's supposed to be have the connotation of you are 
Well, I just know it's an easy way to say you're 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 both retarded in like a mentally deficient way, and you're a leper, like you're gangrene. Oh. You're like you're like a like it's a way to be like a leptard is like a completely worthless person. You got your physicality and mentality are both set to zero on your D and D constitution, intellect zero on the D and D stat sheet. Hmm. Okay, <laughs> that's interesting. I didn't know that. One could say you're putting a hat and a hat on that insult, you know? It's it's true, yeah. It's too much. It's too much. Okay, Indira investigates the hospital and finds out that no one has seen Enema Guy since he was checked out. She also finds out that the nameplates on the rooms were switched and that the FBI was there. Um, and we're going to go over to the FBI here in a second, but she's she's following up on this um this is just kind of a connecting scene we kind of already know everything that she finds out here um, and again this is where it's like i i remember during this scene um when you have the confusion about gator picking up the wrong dude it's like oh i this is kind of funny in like a burn after reading sort of way it's like a black mm-hmm. com- which i like black comedies but i didn't like burn after reading and this one i'm having because i clearly you're supposed to think this is hilarious I mean, I thought it was kind of funny. I, I when it happened, when the switch was made, I I was less like, "Oh, this is funny," and more like, "This is ex- exciting." I guess like it's just desserts it's for tense. this guy. It's just desserts for Gator and his goons. Like everyone's getting what they deserve. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the old switcheroo, I guess, was funny. Um, but yeah, I was more tense for Dot. Because so much was ha- going on at the time with right, her right, right, right. FBI showing up, the bad guys are there. It's it's all bad for her. Uh, and concerned about Wayne too, because they're coming to get Wayne and he's incapacitated. <laughs> uh, so yeah, apparently he did not starve to death in the bathroom of the hospital. Um, so let's go to the FBI talking with Wayne and his father. Um, oh, before we do that, I want to talk. There's something that I, I think was made clear to me um, and something we've been war- war- wondering about with Gator. Like, has Gator always been a fuck up? And we, we talked about that press clipping where it mentioned that he was the all state quarterback, which is, you know, something. But like this conversation he had with his dad makes me think that like. Like, I don't think Roy perceived Gator as a loser or as an embarrassment up until this season. I think you're right, yeah. They both have this conversation like, what the hell's gone on with you? Like, you, you've been cursed. And, like, Roy thinks he knows why. He thinks it's the, the, you know, the old munch has put some kind of, like, hex on him. But, like, this is kind of bringing Gator's character in. Because I'm like, if this, Gator, if this guy's just some just giant fuck-up Nepo baby, it's like his character doesn't play right. But I kind of like the idea of, like, he has had everything going and he has been kind of the ideal son to Roy and maybe Roy being an outlaw gangster, like this is kind of like a Michael Corleone situation where it's like Roy is veto where he had all the power and he had got all this influence, but now the feds are here and they're hounding him. The kind of the clock is running out and it's nothing. This Gator's not a bad guy. He just is inheriting a failing business from his father and much the same way like Michael was from veto. Not, they both probably making their own mistakes just like Michael did. But like, I'm starting to get to like, this is Roy has fucked up for about a decade now. And, and he's out of rope. He's at the end of his rope. 
Yeah, when I think about that, I think about his statement later at the the rodeo or whatever, where he's talking about buying cattle and how you know he doesn't trust. The, you know, apparently there's a science to it, but he goes on his gut. Sure, just like his father did before him and his father before him. It feels like you're relying entirely on luck. I mean, in the way mm-hmm. that like Gator is getting the bad luck, he's relying on the good luck of the pick. Yeah. to just see him through and it's not working like he's the generation where you just got unlucky uh mm-hmm. in your picks right you just you maybe you weren't smart enough to pick them uh but that attitude of like i just go with my gut yeah that'll that'll bring things down faster than anything you know yeah yeah if there yeah, is not a, a good process it's not a good process right. it's dub it's it's like betting on black eventually you'll you'll lose yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm with you. I, I think like Gator, and maybe that's what I was feeling from him earlier on when I'm like, Gator isn't really a, a fuck up. He's just got like, he, he's getting his missions mostly accomplished. There's just like that one thing that goes wrong for him and it's kind of unlucky or like, yeah, maybe he overlooks one thing, but it gets blown out of proportion by everything else that happens. And maybe he's trying too hard now because like there's been other things where it's like, you know, the way he dealt with these other police officers that are not corrupt. You know, it's like that seemed like a extremely but maybe he's trying to overcompensate and like his ludicrous dialogue with uh, uh, Munch later on, I think, is another. It's like he is feeling like failure. And mm-hmm. he is becoming increasingly desperate to not fail. Like that was him psyching himself up in his bed. Like all these things that we're like, oh, look at this pathetic guy who. No, this is a person who was proud and was accomplished, and now he's like running into this inexplicable run of bad luck. I, I, that's an interesting way to shade his character. Yeah, I'm with you. The guy in the trunk is trying to get out. We'll be right back. We just put the ads in the wood chipper. Welcome back. Uh, all right, let's talk about um, the FBI asking Wayne and his father some questions about Dot and Halloween night. They tell Wayne that Dot isn't who she, she says she is uh, and that Roy is after her. And then Indira shows up and tells the FBI that they'll want to hear what she's learned. Uh, nothing that Wayne is saying here could ever be used in a court of law, right? He's got the brain scramblies. There's... Like, he doesn't understand the conversation. He's picking out bits that he's like, not my wife? Mm-hmm. Like, he barely understands that concept. But it's funny is that if the FBI agents were t- taking him seriously, like, he is giving them a lot of good information. Like, when he's observing true, about, yeah. I think I dreamed Nightmare Before Christmas? No, that actually happened to you. Just you got the brain scrambly, so it's not all coming out right. But they're right. dismissing everything. After the end of the conversation, they're dismissing everything he has to say, even though probably half the stuff he said was some kind of actionable if they just knew mm-hmm. how to put those that information together. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, is this the first time they specifically name-checked Nightmare Before Christmas? I feel like it is. They might have said night. I know the song has been in it, uh-huh. you know, but like, yeah, actually said the words maybe could be. Yeah, I think he said it wrong because he's got the brain scramblies, but uh-huh. I think he said night before Christmas, um, but maybe not. Did you think of Nadine's last name, Bump? Bump. Does that mean that Roy's last name is Bump? 
Roy Bump? No, it's Tillman. How? Well, so this must is her be her maiden, maiden name. name. She's yeah. she's Nadine. What 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 is Roy Tillman? Knee Bump. Yeah, now lion. I maybe thought I could think of like baby bump for some reason. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a weird. It's it's another all time Fargo name. Another yeah, an- name. A, another masculine feminine thing here, where you've got Wayne's dad saying that you know when Wayne was a little boy, he wanted to be a ballerina, and he's like, oh well, the male is called a ballerina. Oh, no, I want to be a ballerina. What do you think is going on? Is that just another exploration of masculine femininity? feminine masculinity yeah i mean and roy would certainly look at wayne and think he's pretty effeminate he's or at least weak um, sure not a strong like, man like him right right but you know there are a lot of different definitions that i would ascribe to for masculinity and certainly a ballerino someone who's going to dance around in tights could also be considered masculine but not in so of course, the man, the <laughs> okay. man uh, epitomized a masculine ballerino. Um, but it, it's also okay. It's it's it does I think also highlight something fundamentally real about the dichotomy that we because like you know if you're a boy, I imagine like I don't know probably a lot of young boy maybe all of us do and we're just beat out of us at different ages. But like if you have a desire to be beautiful, to be pretty, to be admired for that, like you know if you're aesthetics aesthetics, there's not a lot of pass forward for a man. You know, to do something like to be admired to doing something beautiful, like, you know, dancing or something like that. So that's just like those are those are paths just like the it's it's true. It's certainly the same on the other. There's a lot of historically masculine roles been shut out for people that are perceived as too feminine because they're not taken seriously or they're discouraged from it. At it. But I, I thought that was interesting. Well, like, it's Wayne, like st- stoic, like showing stress, showing weakness is a sign of weakness and like you any any kind of emotion that you're showing is considered yeah. weakness and that's considered effeminate yeah it's silly i wonder how much of wayne's like starring in his own commercials is that kind of like his boyish want to see be seen as like this character you know this this he's the front man for kia for kia motors now yeah i suppose so uh maybe that was what he was thinking. pretty far pretty far away from the ballet though pretty far away uh so another thing I just want to point out here is this joke uh, that Wayne's father says about when they talk about Scotty playing the drums. Uh, it says Rommel used the sound of drums to drive his enemies mad. And we'll come back to this later mm-hmm. when we see the sort of hobbies that Wayne's father has. Sure. Um so then Roy and Gator go to the rodeo to buy off old Munch and to get Mo- uh, Gator's mojo back. Roy suggests he let Dot be, but it seems like Munch isn't going to stop hunting her. At least that's what I got from this conversation. I was I was a little surprised that old Munch would agree to meet them here. It, it I mean... I don't know. The last time they interacted, it very much seemed like he was trying to kill them. And I know he just sent them a message and he feels like he's owed something and they're calling to pay back what they owe. But yeah. it felt a little, I guess, abrupt. I guess I would have liked to have seen a, a bit of dialogue between the, the crew before them meeting up. 
See, I rolled with this because I'm like, well, old Munch is this, and I, I get it. He's, I think your his name is intended to be pronounced like Ole Monk. Yeah, Ula yeah. Ula Monk. Um, but like on the show, it definitely seems old Munch is is what they're rolling with. But he's a sin eater. Like he has mm-hmm. like like his whole deal is he takes money from people who despise and want to discard him. So it's like I think what's offensive is that they reneged on the to, to him is they reneged on the financial part. Like I this this yeah, yeah I don't hold anything sacred except for this thing. I take money to absolve you of your sin, and Roy is refusing to do that. It's a offen- this so, is immoral to him. So was it the interest that settled the score here? Because to me, that's another sin committed that has to be paid for. And okay. I don't know because like I'm still at this. I think this this end of this conversation is interesting to me because I'm not sure exactly what old Munch is saying. Because it's like almost he's like he's going after Dot, right? And it's almost like Roy intended this effect where he's like, uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe it's just better to let her go. And old Munch jumps in there. Now is old Munch warning Roy about like? his path or is old munch saying something about his ethos because if it's like a it former, was former he he might they just might be good and 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 uh munch is going to walk out there and not be antagonistic towards dot they're like they're everything's just just cool i but, don't know it didn't feel like that was the path that this show is going like if this is the last time we see munch because the scores are settled that would be surprising to me let's say well but there's another way to get old bunch back which is obviously gator's not going to let this go gator wants to settle yeah. things with the bullet and not the money so like i think it'd be a lot more interesting if old bunch is just done and he's pulled back in <laughs> like michael corleone because yes i did watch all of the godfather series one two and three on my christmas break so it's fresh from my mind <laughs> but like he just when he thought he's out the the gator pulls him back in um, but I also I, I admit that it's a perfectly valid way to read it for for Roy to be like, ah, oh, maybe I should let her go. Knowing the old bunch is going to be like, fuck that. I dug this grave. This is part of the kind of in the way that um, especially since he talks like him, Jack and Hagar, Hagar from Game of Thrones, how uh-huh. um, like his like 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 when Arya strung him up about you know you know he she he was unhappy with the name she selected she's like fine I'll name you and he's like really like absurdly concerned with her taking that name back because that was important to him like that had a mm-hmm. mystical significance to him and I wonder if there's something like similar to Munch it's like once he digs a hole and he's selected victim like something about his worldview makes it an imperative so it might be that but. Yeah, I mean he's he's paid to eat the sins of the dead, right? So like, yeah. if, if you want to go down that road, you can say, well, what happens if he's paid and he eats the sins and there's no corpse, right? Like, mm. someone didn't die; he was just paid to eat sins of of someone living or someone who didn't exist in the first place. There, it seems like there's an imbalance there. And what do you I think can of definitely his... see that being part of his worldview. What do you think of his Jack and Hagar manner of speaking? Where a man this, a man that. Like, are they? Is I mean, he if he's five hundred years old, that makes sense. Um, did they talk that way back then? I thought that was like a almost a Yoda way that uh, the assassins of Game of Thrones talk, just to make him different. But 
Look, man, I've spoken a lot on podcasts. Occasionally, you want to just experiment with your language, right? And this is his experimental <laughs> phase. He's Look, he's been speaking for 500 years. True. He's going to take the next 25 and just get weird with it. Yeah. Why do we even need a name? I'm just a man, okay? That's all you need to know. Yeah. Uh, I, and why can't it just be a hole? What's wrong with it just being a hole? Like, you dig a grave expecting there to be a corpse. Good, Great surprise. There's no corpse. All right, then it's just a hole. It also, I think it's, don't you think there's getting at something psychological, like, um, you know, a person with uh, a bad relationship with their mother might always, like, that's a hole, you know, like, uh, everyone deserves the unconditional love of, of two parents. Not all of us get that. And some of us just never fill that hole. Like, you know, there's a mom-shaped hole or whatever that could be. A lot of different things, you know, love, acceptance, and like you can pour whatever that's not that thing into that hole and it's never going to be filled. I wonder if they're trying to hint something like that, where it's like this hole will never mm-hmm. be filled. Mm-hmm. Even if you do put Nadine in there. Because you yeah, always have another yeah. wife cutting your ears and then what, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but yeah, we, we kind of talked about the the gator stuff as he's leaving the rodeo well before we get to also the, the other weird sexual deviancy um what is roy's fascination with bullcock i don't know he likes i guess he likes to see the that representation of masculinity like that's a bull with a big old cock that's a, a man bull right there <laughs> Yeah, the line between straight, straight and really like super fucking butch straight and super super gay is boy, it's razor it's razor <laughs> sharp there at the edge, isn't it? The the line between yeah, no, you're 100 percent right. Uh, there, there's a a bit of like it was weird for me too because they show this on television, right? And if you, if if Roy were saying this about a man, he said, "God damn, that's a huge cock on that man." And they pan over and they show his Look at full the meat penis. on that monster. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, 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 on television you wouldn't be allowed to show that, but yet they can yeah, show right. this animal's gigantic dong, no problem. It's a little, uh-huh. it's a little weird. It's not sexualized in the same way, but Roy, yeah, like you said, he's brushing up against sexualizing in a strange way. Yeah, and anyway. I know that the people made this joke because it was like uh, the the uh, the upside down horseshoes. I think was from season three of Fargo. This whole like symbol of bad luck, and and I I, I was kept on thinking a lot about Roy's nipples and how they are inverted horseshoes, like they're double bad luck symbols for him, mm-hmm. and his psychosexuality here. I what are the odds on Roy turns out that he's closeted gay before the end of the se- season? Uh, I hmm. He he hasn't actually acted like it. He acts more oblivious to the like razor thin margin between what he's saying and being gay. Uh, and you could be you, know, the, you can do hate. that. Like like we every every year in July we go on and on about man beef and 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 uh, our, uh, our our triple C yeah. badass rating systems and like outside that room we look super gay talking that way but we <laughs> sure. both maintain in public that we're super straight absolutely so I get, yeah much like Roy would <laughs> looking at this I get bullcock. it 
Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I don't How would you he, ever know otherwise, you know? He doesn't strike me as a guy who would actually admit to it, certainly. Um, well, he no, thinks I, what I he's saying wonder. is super masculine. I, that, that's what I think. But does he really? Because like, what, what, get a hundred guys in America together and watch a rodeo or something and then like casually mention at the at, at the at bw3s or whatever like god damn look at that bullcock am i right yeah and the thing is he's a caricature of of a person right like i i don't know how far to yeah. to follow that rabbit hole down the caricature lane because I, I, I run up with a lot of those lot. characters where it's like i want you know it's like well you want to do this in-depth kind of like but also they yeah this is this is a joke this is a jokey joke so how serious do you want to take it yeah i think roy takes it very seriously he would not uh think there's anything wrong with what he's saying would not uh offend his sensibilities obviously he's saying them uh anyway yeah we talked about old munch leaving um and gator just Gator trying to salvage a win out of this like literally he's like this is not a win we're calling a draw uh, and then when he says you know later he's this is not over whatever um, is it, it okay let me ask you this is it because Gator does Gator say this stuff because Old Munch killed his partner or the, you know those officers or is he saying this simply because his masculinity has been challenged here I think this latter, and this is like I, I was trying to come up with a cohesive theory about Gator being a winner up until season five, episode one of Fargo. And this is the scene that's like is the hardest to reconcile with that. Because this just seems mad insecure. Mm-hmm. You know? But I also he's a young guy and maybe he's just this afraid of failure. But uh, I mean, it's a lot of that over the top stuff, right? This is insecure in the same way that the stuff Roy's saying about Bullcox is just very yeah. coded gay. So like, sure, it's I, it's I it's tough guy talk. Like he's walking yeah. the walk impeccably. Like if if uh you know 1995 uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger Sylvester Stallone said this, it would be this guy's ass in the third act of the movie, right? In glorious mm-hmm. fashion. But it's Gator saying it, so like, do you take it that seriously? Yeah, and he said it before, and, you know, none of this stuff has happened, so I don't take it seriously. I don't think Munch does either. And the other thing is, like, it could be that Gator would be a winner, but, like, his dad's put him in so much karmic debt that there's just no way. Like, mm-hmm. if, if, if Roy was, like... And Andy Griffith style, like I am the law, like Mayberry Sheriff, that everyone kind of like, okay, we agree with this kind of policing, uh, keeping bullets in our pockets kind of thing. Maybe Gator becomes a solid citizen. But since his dad is running this vast criminal enterprise, like Gator can't be that guy. Yeah, maybe. You know? Not sure. We'll see. Uh, So the FBI and Indira share their information on Dot and Roy. And the FBI wants to use Dorothy to get Gator and Bowman to rat out Roy on all his criminal activities. Uh, worried more about Dot, and Dira wants to get a warrant and go get Roy today. But the FBI says that'd be showing their hand, and they don't have the ironclad case they're looking for yet. Um, so this, there's a shot in the newspaper here of the guy that Roy is running against in this sheriff election, um, the guy he's mm-hmm. presumably going to debate. 
this is the guy that was with Vivian at the beginning of this episode. The one of the kids that Roy sends home. I'm pretty sure. Really interesting. Yeah, which I don't I don't exactly know how that lines up with some of the stuff that's going to happen later with Lorraine talking about stealing an election. Stealing but, an election and it's somehow connected to but it, it, it checks out that it's connected to Vivian for sure. Uh-huh. But like how could Roy lose a debate to this guy who he just like I I I I've since I spanked your ass and sent you packing a week ago at a strip club, dude. Like it seems Yeah, unless, I don't see how unless it all Lorraine connects. wants Roy as a sheriff for some reason wants to keep him where he is and is worried that he's going to be defeated because of all the bad press. Maybe. Uh, so she's going to use it really as see reverse that. pressure, kind of like, you know, ingratiate himself to her. Yeah, we'll see. I, I do feel like she's doing a little bit of, like, friends close, enemies closer sort of stuff in this episode, yeah. but we'll see. Um, it's wild how brazen they talk about, like, that Roy has raised a million, he's given a million dollars with the tactical gear to his father-in-law, the militia, and his father-in-law is acting like he's been, but, like, do you realize how insane that is? Like, a million dollars, it feels like that's enough to fully outkit a person with, like, a rifle, body armor, and an ice helmet. Like, you, you've equipped, a th- like, a thousand people. You've, 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 you've raised, a, like, a half a battalion uh, of troops out here in, in North Dakota. That seemed like an insane figure for a small county Man, sheriff in it? North Dakota. My my guess is it I don't know, it might cost anywhere between ten and twenty grand to, you know, get body armor and tactical clothes and for one person weapons and yeah. I mean that stuff's not cheap. I mean you look at, you know, five grand for a rifle or whatever, um that, that was looking at and then you consider okay the vest is probably similar and i I bet it's pretty expensive i mean it could be 500 people that's still a hell of a lot true he's got an army for a million dollars but i was thinking like the size of the county that's 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 a lot that's that's pretty scandalous just uh in and of itself yeah no i would think so uh they don't have any proof on this right like all this stuff they're saying is things that they can't prove yeah, and they're they're looking to use Nadine to flip either Gator or the ranch hand. Who I they I remember we learned his name last week, but I can't remember. It's, I think it's Bowman. Bowman, yeah, the dude that uh, gets in a he said she said fight with uh, Roy over who fucked up the yeah oh, yeah the theft of Wayne. Funny. Yeah. All right, uh, Scotty goes out to the garage as Lars is. Oh leaving. wait a second. Dude, yeah. Does the FBI, I, I want to ask you this because, you know, there's whole thing like uh, Indira gets all upset about why can't they just, you know, prosecute him for any of the numerous crimes that they're pretty sure he's committed. And it's funny to see this is an inversion of the conversation that they had with their chief from two episodes ago. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, why can't we just do the thing? And But they ask her, like, do you know where she is? And she flatly says, no, I do not. And they kind of like, they don't share a look. They just both have a similar look about them. It's not like they privately look to each other. I got the strong suspicion that they instantly pegged her as not telling the truth. Did you share that suspicion or no? I mean, if I'm Obi-Wan Kenobi, I'm saying she didn't lie here. Uh, Because from a certain point of view, I mean, she doesn't know where she is right now. You know, she knows where Scotty is. Exactly. She knows that she knew where Dot was at one point at her house, but she doesn't. But in know a right prosecution now. for obstruction of justice sort of way, 
Let's let's leave Obi Wan out of the the, the courtroom and say, <laughs> yeah, he's going to the slammer. Obi Wan's yeah. done, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, you're right. You're right. There is a bit of a fib there. Um, but like, what is it? What does it help saying? Oh yeah, she was at my house. I guess she could say her daughter's there too, and we could maybe use. It doesn't, that as, but it, yeah. it it does. I think it does drive a wedge between the feds and the locals here. That like there's going to be. Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing that he's building a machine that is going to rely on distrust at a crucial junction, and they'll be like, "Well, you know, she did lie about the blah blah blah," and maybe they'll think she's dirty. Maybe they'll think she's working for Roy. They'll wonder how f- deep the conspiracy goes. Like I don't know, but I just I just noted I just I just noted the look. Gotcha. Uh, all right, let's go to Indira's house where Scotty goes out to the garage as Lars is leaving. So she just plays some drums. Uh, Lars is fucking his physical therapist. Yes, the clone. I don't. I don't know. I can't tell if this is just the character being that guy, or if this is yeah them having a relationship. But feels like the latter. I'm 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 questioning whether there's a physical therapist at all. Is what I'm saying. I'm saying like this gotcha. is just code for I'm going out. Yeah, which is could be the cherry on top, you know, of like what he's doing yeah. to Indira here. The fact that he is wanting an actual wife and he is stepping outside. Yeah, it's oh jeez, oh jeez. Maybe he goes to a physical therapist's house and they cook him dinner and clean. <laughs> their house i don't know he's trying to find this wife that he wants through them he wants a non-bang maid this is secretly what he wants there's sex there's sex happening there too she might be cooking a meal but there's also sex happening oh yeah uh you know what's also actually really happening is this kid can drum whoever is playing scotty this kid's actually drumming like i'm they're actually drumming but are they good no, they're not. They're not amazing. Okay, I thought you were going to tell me that they're an amazing drummer. I'm like, I see. I don't know, but it sounded to me like they were having a hard time staying on the beat. Yeah, absolutely. There are some rhythm problems there. But look, the the kid is young. But their they're able age? to drum at all. Just, yeah, they drum better than I do. Let's just say yeah. that. Now she has a drum kit at home, so this isn't her first. She didn't. She's not like a savant, but like, yeah, yeah, she's probably better than fucking Lars. Now that I think we're all in agreement, the Lars terrible golf swing, terrible golfer, delusional. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to hear she's, him drum. She's not distro- She's not damaging the tools for sure by playing with them. And it is, you know, she's gonna say this is a real nice kid. I don't know if it's nice. I can't judge that, but it's very large. It is. Lars has large drum drum set. Too many drums over there. You got yeah. drums behind you. You're not yeah. Neil Pert. Come on, man. <laughs> That's why I was gonna say. I was trying to think of a famous drummer it has because you see him sometime, like in a big heavy metal act or you know like uh like like a big band leader like a max what is his weinberg like he'll have these this uh, throne of drums just fully surrounded yeah yeah if you can use them all great but lars isn't using three of those drums no no <laughs> so uh let's go over to danish um he Bust in on Lorraine saying, uh, we might have a problem. We can't reach Vivian. Apparently also his shirt and a note was dropped off at their office. It says not on my watch. And Lorraine realizes this is Roy. Um, Wayne is wheeled in asking about Dot. And Lorraine says, oh, she's sightseeing and then sends him home. 
and tells Danish to gas up the car, get Vivian's cell number because he's going to steal an election. Well, I'm interested in things going on here. Um, is it? A, I, mean, I feel like a lot of things I called tactical errors by Gator are things that his dad does because it seems to me the height of stupidity to tell your foe that you just vanquished them. Uh-huh. Like, let them struggle to figure out what happened for a little bit first. Yeah, like this let them need be bamboozled. Them, yeah, this like, tell Cersei, I want her to know. That's not the sign of a person in a strong position, you know. Uh... Yeah, it's a yeah, mistake. Yeah, like why telegraph sure. it? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, Roy has this this vibe where he feels like he's invincible. Um, but yeah, this is a tactical error for sure. I thought it was interesting also that like when Wayne came to his mother for comfort, she provided things. She says, we'll take you home and you'll be around your favorite stuffies, which that's a wild thing to say to a man with children. And I'll have my mm-hmm. chef cook you your favorite beef bourguignon, I think is what she said. Both, both, both bourguignon. Yeah. Boof. Uh, you but can't it's trust like, anything it's, that she's saying here because their accent is wild. But yeah. It is. It's very wild. Uh, but, but that's what it's like. She's, she's not providing like unconditional love and support and comfort. She's providing things that she thinks yeah, will provide those things. And look how she reacts when Wayne's wheeled in. She's like, oh, not now. God. Yeah, and she idiot. keeps this kind of like offensively garishly saccharine mother behavior for like 30 seconds, and you can tell it's like psychically stressful for her. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's another thing happening in this scene that I thought was interesting because, you know, she's talking about how she's got this private personal chef at home that cooks all these mm-hmm. fancy meals and mm-hmm. at the beginning of this scene she's eating takeout out of a container and drinking a can of coke oh see i thought that was those looked like meal prep boxes to me like her fancy chef cooks her a custom meal and then sends it to work and she warms it up of <laughs> okay her chef did not cook that her chef ordered that from the local chinese place and stuffed it into one of his meal prep boxes. How can you tell? Because it looks like it's as it's as beige as Wayne. It's it's so beige. Like the, no chef would ever worth their salt put was that, that alt, color. Was that an alt band in the early two thousands? Beige, beige as Wayne, Wayne, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no, it's fountains of. Ah, uh, ah, uh, uh, yes, yes. But but you know what I mean? Like no chef. Would put just a beige nothing on a plate and say, oh, your fancy meal, madame. Not with that accent, no. <laughs> no, he has to put on the accent, otherwise he's fired. Uh, what is this, season one of the Gilded Age? Uh-huh. Three people snorted in the audience just now. <sighs> anyway, I do think I thought, this, I thought there this... was something to her eating cold shit out of a tiny box when she has like this fancy uh, chef who can prepare meals, right? Like she right. could have had the chef deliver her a three-star Michelin meal here yeah. under under silver plated dishes, but like her domes. But she's eating out of a box. Um yeah, they might be saying something as she's got this big, lovely house that you she could entertain all these people, but she even her own family doesn't like to spend time there. It's like this like a person that's rich and has all these resources, but 
because of the type of person they are, they don't take advantage of any of the the, the creature comforts that they've they've they've. Uh, yeah, what's know, the point? Earn, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I just I haven't figured that out my uh, yet. You know, like once once yeah, you get a certain either. number in your life, like why do you keep going, man? You just. It's like playing Donkey Kong for the high score eternally, you know. Yeah, it just those people are wired different, you know. They are. They they're are. Like they're like Wayne. They get fixated on one thing, and everything else falls away, and they can't understand. It's it. deeply weird behavior that we hold up as the ideal. Indeed, uh, I All do right. think the shot of her standing in front of this no sign is the gift that keeps on giving. It's just fucking cinematic and iconic every time and they did like i think this is the biggest whitest uh her standing in front of it yet so yeah i took note which six episodes in is kind of a big deal Mm -hmm. oh we'll be right back with fargo you're darn tootin'. the fountain of conversation continues here's more fargo so let's go over to Indira arriving home to find Scotty alone and hungry. So she decides, you know what? I can't deal with this. Take Scotty to Lorraine's house. And once there, Indira tells Lorraine that she and Dot are more alike than she thinks. And this causes Lorraine to offer her a job running her security team. And she says she needs to think about it, but Lorraine's only giving her 24 hours. This is the this is the real hat on the hat moment for me when they reveal that the drums were from a previous dream that he spent way too much money and like oh god this cycle has happened multiple times to the tune of like three hundred thousand dollars in debt yeah girl like it's like there's a little bit of like goddamn when are you going to get you know get help for yourself um Mr. Yeah. Pie in the sky, she calls him. Like she has like contempt for this man, but she's still shoveling her her life into supporting his dreams. What what's 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 up with this? Yeah, and all that comes spilling out in this scene with Lorraine, right? I mean, she's the reason she goes so hard on Lorraine here is not because she wants Lorraine to see just how alike her and Dot are. I mean, that's part of it. But this whole conversation about wanting a wife has just pissed her off and she's apparently incapable of telling Lars that it's pissed her off and so she takes it out on the next person she sees which is Lorraine um and it's man this whole conversation I think this is a really well done scene I've I've appreciated a lot of these slower moments in Mm -hmm. in episodes of Fargo this season where two characters will just sit down and they'll espouse their worldviews they will trade shots I always like this kind of scene and this is a really good one um Indira is genuinely like teaching Lorraine a thing here um and I can't quite put my finger on exactly what it is other than hey Dot has been through a lot of shit and you always say you don't want to hear people complaining oh it's such a you know, these people are so weak and they need to grab their bootstraps and just yank on them. And that's what Dot's done at every turn. And she's never said a single word about it. And yet yeah. here's Lorraine complaining about all those horrible people out there who don't take charge of their life, which does not describe Dot. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Everything she says she wants out of the world, Dot is manifesting. Um, and so she, I, I think that hits home really hard. And then you've got... <laughs> Lorraine turning around and being 
really gross in the scene. Like offering her a job, I don't view it as something to thank her for, like Indira does. Um, this to me is a twofold thing. This is an optics thing, certainly. I mean, she wants you know her pretending to be so powerful and strong, and yet when things are really on the line and she needs a security team, she calls in the dudes, right? That doesn't feel great to her, I'm sure, and it doesn't look good to other people. Um, mm. So getting a deer on the team would be an optics win, but it's also keeping... I, I think it's this is the keeping your enemies closer sort of thing. She sees this cop who is poking around her family and getting intimately familiar with them, and she knows she's got dirt under her fingernails, a ton of it. And I think what she wants is... Uh, part of what she wants here is Indira off the force and on her team keeping her enemies closer and she can just you know keep her at, a, at an arm's length but close enough to watch while Danish goes around and does all the dirty work I also think I got a little bit of whiff of like the devil wears Prada situation where you've got this powerful woman who just constantly shit tests everyone around her and she's con- it's like she's like Mr. Glass trying to find the bulletproof person yeah Oh, and like once so I do, it's like, oh, uh, this is a person that I can abuse and they'll thank me for it. And, they'll, you know, it's like I, I feel like there's a little bit of that there, too, where she this is just her. She finally finds someone who's resourceful enough that can get her what she wants and comes back for more from like the 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 emotional abuse. Like, ah, this is I, I've got a new protege. Um, so I think there's a little bit of like actual admiration and also like, oh, I found a useful tool. But also yeah, everything so, else you said is is true too. Like this is taking a piece off the board from the other side. It's like there's there's a lot of things here. It's smart, like she says. It's a smart. Yeah, play. it's not kind. Uh, she says no, it's not. This is not a nice thing to do. And I think she's a hundred percent right. I mean, the way this conversation plays out, like when she says, "Oh, I'm in this huge debt," and she knows that, and what she's offering yeah. here is a job, and not. Not to wipe this debt clean, not to get her out of this situation. Sure. She's offering her a, a bigger stick. She's, she's offering her help in pulling herself out of the sand trap that she's put her in, right? Like mm. her company Good is the one collecting metaphor, the on way. this debt. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, she, she's handing her, she's the caddy handing her the one wood or the, the pitch, the pitching wedge saying, <laughs> go for it, dude. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like she has the ability here to really get her out of her situation. Just like, hey, you know not, what? We can take this ball and put it back on the green. You know, we're just playing a friendly that. game here. She could absolutely do that, but she doesn't. Yeah. She's not even offering that, and I think that's ridiculous. And and I do not want her to take this job because this is how rich assholes thrive. They they co opt and corrupt people, decent people who would be the ones who would lead something like this better. And and it's not like th- she's not inviting her to, oh, yeah, become my equal. We'll run something together. Right. And this is you're subservient to me. And I find you, so, like you said, a useful tool. It's so easy to do this in people in positions. like Because like, I'm thinking if, like, if I had yeah. a, I don't know, a longstanding feud of Jeff Bezos over po- podcasting and I'm in his boardroom and I'm giving him, I'm taking a moral task. In the middle of it, he cuts it off. It's like, oh, you're okay, okay. I hear what you're saying, Aaron. How about you come work for me for double your salary and benefits right now? I would be fucking tempted. Of course. And I've got like one of the greatest jobs of all time. If he forex my salary, I'd, I'd probably do without even thinking. Like, <laughs> right. I, this is the thing. I do not want her to take this, but I understand how tempting this offer is. Because right now yeah. she is sinking. Someone uh-huh. is throwing her some kind of life raft. And even if it's even if Hitler throws you a life raft, 
you grab you're in the, the middle raft. of the fucking Pacific, you, you're yeah. yeah, yeah. The moral calculus or you let is. Drown. I mean, that's the that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so insidious, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, once she's on her team, she's going to be corrupted. That that kind of power and wealth just it seems to do that to people. Yeah, yeah. And they they invent all these social things about the you know the bootstrap stuff to justify it. Like, well, you just didn't grab your bootstraps right. hard enough, you lazy piece of shit. So I don't have to feel bad about you dying in the street of squalor because you're just inferior. And yeah, you could so have I been better, and you didn't. I don't know how it's going to play out on the show, but I really don't want her to take this job just to spite. Where I would totally understand if she did, also. But, she, but if she does take this job, she has got to get rid of Lars. It can't be a life raft for him, too, because this oh guy. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? He's a lead weight. Yeah. I do wonder because it's almost like they're cracking the door open for a Lorraine redemption arc, too. Like, it's entirely possible that she is just so insulated. Like, she's a Scrooge, an Ebenezer Scrooge type that just is so insulated from what it's like to struggle that, that way that... Yeah. Uh, to have your van yeah. break down on you when you have no money and can't get to work and lose your job and get sick right. and like right right yeah right. to have just a run of bad luck you know to have the upside down horseshoe nipples get you mm-hmm. she doesn't know anything about that um and i feel like she you know she takes a look at this stuff later in the episode uh, at the end of the episode and it does seem to really affect her she she understands dot they're going to reveal that Lorraine's a level eight rancher in the upside down horseshoe nipple brigade. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. It's going to be a, this is going to rope Roy down in an episode. Or two. It's going to be something. <laughs> I feel like there's a costume you have to wear to do that, but I don't know. I don't I've, know what I've seen be. John Hamm getting domed by women on more than one occasion in his work on mm-hmm. Mad Men that he didn't have an elaborate costume. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say about this scene real quick is Wayne's dad, uh, I forget his name, but, um, he clearly right. has a fixation with world war two. I know a lot of people of that generation kind of do. And I, like, I see this, so I'm into like scale modeling and a lot of people who mm-hmm. do scale modeling are way into world war two because it has a lot mm-hmm. of very cool machinery, right? But b- b- from, tanks to planes to guns to anything you can think of it's cool stuff but i always like side eye that a little bit too depending on people's attitudes toward it like how fixated are they on the german tanks i want to see this guy's man cave how many yeah how many nazi daggers does he have displayed in the case is his Nazi he's... flag like a uh, like a modest twelve inch by eighteen, or is it a full three by five footer over the mantle? Like, yeah, what? Right. How into the wear mark are you actually? <laughs> I, I I think he's in in this uh, diorama he's got going. I'm pretty sure he's like having the Allied side win. So maybe that he's sounds not that like bad, it. but it does sound like he is not. Uh, yeah, complete weirabo. But so, I, I do think here's my uh, take on it. I think mm-hmm. he's a war gamer. I think he is he's into war gaming and he mm-hmm. there and I there there's people that do this. They dress it up like uh you know, it's like, well, my playing World of Tanks is better than you playing Space Marine because I'm actually interested in history and blah blah blah. But oh, you talk yeah. to these people, they don't know what the fuck. 
like you, you, you know you, you don't know anything about world war ii history just because you played a video game you don't know anything about like the tiger tank uh versus the t-32s or whatever just because you played a game of i don't know uh call of duty yeah um and and i think it's it's like that's the thing it's like he talks like you when you first hear him talk it's like oh maybe he's just a history buff but then when you see him like a little boy playing with his toys mm-hmm. i think they're just kind of i don't know they're doing something with this like you know that you would think that's an unmanly hobby to, to do modeling scale modeling to do war gaming all that kind of stuff stereotypically right it's the playing with it that i think is considered unmanly yes. like cuz cuz there's a big I don't know if mythos is the right word, but there's a, a long history, a storied history of model builders who are like generals and shit, right? Like that stuff is considered manly. When you were in the uh, military, one of your hobbies being modeling scale airplanes is like. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. I think a lot of people are impressed by it. Um, and a lot of people are like, oh, he's, you know, way into the history of it all too. And some people that's true. Some people it's definitely not. I think I think it's more like the distinction I make between like playing with the models, which I love to do, you know, playing mm. Warhammer and stuff. That's fun. And making the models for some reason. Mm. And yeah, I also think it's the subject matters. Like, yeah, the playing with it definitely like, you know. Yeah, you're right. I mean, this is the Space Marines versus the Tiger Tanks is not or like the, the Enterprise not versus the USS Enterprise the spaceship versus the aircraft carrier you right know? right versus yeah. the old sailing ship which is that's a serious that's a serious big boy model there if you're exactly yeah no nah, i get it uh but i don't know i just i took note of his attitude here and uh his hobbies and i don't i don't know what they're trying to say about him necessarily but maybe what, it is what? that play stuff one final thought about Endear is kind of uh, squaring off with uh um, Miss Lyon here is there's also like Roy mentioning welfare queens because and and uh, I think um, Indira making this comment about that uh, you know have you ever heard Dorothy call herself a victim but nevertheless some people have crimes committed they are victimized and that uh, Dorothy is never going to ask for help but she needs it I think there's something they're kind of like at the because cause people like um, Leanne, is it Leanne? Uh, Lion? Lorraine? Lorraine Lion. People like Lorraine and Roy have this conception that um, people that are on the public dole, people are on welfare, Medicaid, that kind of thing, are crying about being a victim, but they're really faking, they're taking advantage of the system. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is borne out in evidence that they're like the amount of people that are quote unquote taking advantage of the system is very small and it's at, and it's dwarfed by the number of people who would qualify for aid, but do not because they are bought into the bootstraps nonsense that they are bought into the American and rugged individuality that like you shouldn't need help. You should be able to help yourself like that. That's mm-hmm. antithetical to how human beings have organized themselves throughout history. Right. And it's it's like the self-serving thing. It's like only people if you're on this program it's because you're taking advantage of hardworking people when actually the amount of that that happens is very small. And if you you, you you invert that, like Laura, Miss Lyon, I can't fucking remember this person's name. Miss Lyon would be the first one asking for a bailout if some uh, right. economic trend happened to make her business lose money through, quote unquote, no fault of her own. She'd be mm-hmm. in a first in the line for that corporate handout. But anyone who lost her job because of the exact same economic trend, she'd be the first one 
you know, yanking the chain and wanting to put him in debtor's prison. I I think there's some really interesting duality there, too. And I think that's a real a real pernicious Mm -hmm. thing happening in our society that I don't know, maybe maybe Holly's trying to talk talk about. Yeah. All right, uh, let's have Danish here go to Vivian at the Tinder Trap to deliver a phone call from Lorraine. Lorraine tells him that she sicked the feds on him and they're seizing his assets and records as they speak, and also she got his son kicked out of college. Uh, Ruined his family, apparently. My question while watching the scene is, how does this help her steal an election? I'm guessing she's taking the money that she was going to invest in this bank and she's going to invest it into the other guy's campaign. I'm guessing, but I'm, I'm a little unsure of there too. And, and also it's like, I, there's like some of the specifics. I'm like, your, your son is just starting his Notre Dame career, but they're going to kick him out for being behind his tuition. How the hell is behind on his tuition? You're about to start college as a freshman, but you're kicked out because you're behind on your tuition. How does that work? Like, if you don't have the entire pay for know. the semester on day one of the semester, do they just kick you out? I don't think that's how it works. Uh, I, I think that would recall. take at least a semester to do, but I, I don't know. Whatever. The, the the thing is that she's ruined. Like she's ruined this man's life. Like, and she's taking glee. Mm-hmm. Like the way she says, "You're going to be stuck stare with all the staring eyes of your failed children, and you're living in squall." Like, bitch, do you do you think that you have to have hundreds of millions of dollars to enjoy life? Like, what if this guy just gets a job at like load loading loading shit at the dock and his kid gets a job uh you know d- d- driving lyft and uber and they make by and you know like a lot a lot of people do that and they manage to be happy but she sees it as like what if you're not the manager takes a of banker squalor it takes a gap year gets some loans goes to notre dame himself like it doesn't have to end his life True. because he's kicked out of notre dame like but I guess if you had a billionaire that really wanted to make your life ruin your they probably could. I suppose. I mean, those people have a lot of influence. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not just the money. It's it's like the favors that they owe. Like this guy knows the governor. Mm-hmm. Well, like I think Lorraine said she knows six governors. Like she's there's always a bigger fish, you know, in Qui-Gon parlance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, Lorraine looks over Dorothy's record and sees the abuse that she's taken at the hands of Roy. Um, and this seems to genuinely affect her. I was wondering I mean, what you thought she came away with, because I thought the final look she gave was deliberately inscrutable. I To me, she, Roy has just inadvertently made an enemy of Lorraine, and I think this is a really good one-two punch at the end of the episode when you show what devastation she can wreak on or reap on someone's life, mm-hmm. uh, what havoc she can wreak on them. And then you say, Roy has just pissed her off royally um, because she does see Dot as someone to admire now. Uh, I, I think Indira really landed that punch when she said, you guys are, everything you say about the world and the way you want it to be is what Dorothy is doing. And looking at these these photos of her abuse that she's suffered through and not said a word, not complained mm. once about it. 
mm-hmm. just got on with her life and figured out a way to get out of it and get Pull into a better place. Pulled herself up by her own bootstraps as the tiger she is, yeah. Absolutely. Everything about that is exactly what Lorraine professes she wants from people. And Roy, Roy did this to this woman, and now I think, you know, she already didn't like him, but mm. now she has real reason to go after him. Yeah, and there's, um, I think the show's teaching us, too, that, like, when you do pass Lorraine's shit test and you do s- demonstrate your value that she wants to acquire you as a valuable thing, I'm I'm yep. guessing that this is now the piece where she's going to want Dot to be on her team. So, yeah, I think there's, like, this potential Titanic girl power, you know, Voltron of Indira, Dot, and, and Lorraine that could potentially form here. Yeah. No, I think there's some real solid writing throughout this episode, um, and I appreciate. But does that it. mean we're rooting for Lorraine? Because to me, Lorraine's as big a villain as Roy is. Like, you know, she's got a little bit of a little bit of feminist sprinkle, sprinkle on her. But yeah, I mean, I'm rooting for Dot, and if Lorraine's going to help Dot, then I guess I'm rooting for them to succeed as a package. Or maybe like I'm trying to think of like who's more monstrous because Roy has done worse things to individuals, but Lorraine is systematically preying on potentially yeah. millions of people. Like, yeah, I think that them, causes more harm generally. Yeah, yeah. Because if you've ever been in that position, like I have a, on two occasions in my life, been in it's where I've been in, in, in such a low position, I'm hounded by you know debtors, and you start you know ignoring your voicemail, you start not opening your uh, mailbox, and you just can't get away from it. It it does feel like you're being hunted and hounded. You know, uh-huh. it's not a pleasant way to live. No, definitely not. So I don't know. One that like one's a one's a more of a retail monster, and the other one does monstrosities on the wholesale, which is worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will have back to back Fargo, back to back to back to back Fargo this week. We'll be having a new episode out tomorrow. That's uh, and we will. I'm trying to think when should we consider feedback because as of tonight, the new Fargo episode will be the one we do. I'm thinking about saving all the feedback until Thursday. Um, probably the right move yeah because like you answer a bunch on monday it's going to be old feedback so anything that's still relevant we will consider but uh definitely send in your takes especially starting uh with the 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 new episode episode eight fargo at baldmove.com because we will consider that now that we're back from our break uh if you want to know what else we're doing here at bald move we've got our social medias at bald move everywhere except for tiktok at baldest move and uh yeah we're we're there's there's gonna be a lot of cool stuff this year this is gonna be a big year man i think so uh house of the dragon like we're probably mm-hmm. four or five months away from that that's a monster um all kinds of stuff anyway social media is at bald move uh except for tiktok at bald move and fargo at baldmove.com is how you send in feedback looking forward to catching up for you guys uh to you guys on thursday until then i'm your host aaron and i'm jim See you tomorrow. Later.